0: Limitless Love, August 27. Before you take aim, aim, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people, things, and give yourself to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceit. Romans twelve sixteen Amplified Bible. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people, things, and give yourself to humble tasks. Humility is one of the mark of a person who has matured in love. The characteristics of the believer God can trust with real power. That's Why? You'll often find that people who walk in true spirituality authority are slow to criticize others. They may have much scriptural wisdom and knowledge, yet they never use it to put down a brother or sister in the Lord. Even if they see someone behaving badly and can prove by the Bible that person is wrong, they refuse to pass judgment. They're humble enough to realize they are probably aspects of that person's situation they don't understand, and they're loving enough to make adjustments in their own attitudes in order to give the erring brother the time to and space to grow. People who are immature, however, are just the opposite. They're quick to point out the faults of others. They'll use scriptural truth to blast away at the sin in someone else's life and never stop to think about the damage they have done in the process. It will never occur to them that their arrogant attitudes grieve the Holy Spirit even more than the shortcomings of the brother they attempted to correct. People who act like that, and we all do the times, remind me of the way my son John was when he first learned to shoot a gun as a young boy. He was a good shot, and he had no difficulty hitting his target, but I never let him out of my sight when we went hunting together because he still lacked wisdom." One time, for example, we were out together and he spotted a huge, ugly spider crawling up the side of the barn. He wanted to kill it, so he lifted up his shotgun and took aim. "'Don't do that,' I said as I grabbed his gun. "'You'll blow a major hole in the side of the barn.' "'Oh,' he said sheepishly. "'I hadn't thought about the barn.' That's why you and I are when we first begin to learn about the things of God— We have all our spiritual equipment. We have the faith of God in us and the capacity to use it. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the capacity to use it. We have the Word of God and the authority to use it. But before God can fully turn up the power in us, we have to grow up and mature in love. We have to be wise enough to put up with a spider for a while for the sake of the barn and humble ourselves to check with our Father before we take aim because there might be just a few things we still don't know. Now, August 28th, Limited Love. Don't judge another man's servant. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Romans 14.4, New International Version Years ago, the Lord spoke to my heart and asked me a question I'll never forget. Do you know what one of the greatest problems I have with the body of Christ is? No, sir, I answered, I don't. It's your dog determination to correct one another, he said. I realized immediately how true that is. I thought about all the disputes and debates that had taken place over minor doctrinal issues and ended up bringing up divisions to the church. I thought about all the ugly, unloving things I heard believers and ministers say about one another, all in the name of scriptural correctness. Through the years, I've seen some people spend more time studying the Word in an effort to prove someone else is wrong when they're spending when they'll spend studying it to get the wisdom and grace to correct their own faults and failures. That's not what the Lord intends for us to do. He never planned for us to use the word to destroy someone else with it. It doesn't matter what we think our fellow servants are in error or over. God didn't call us to judge them. He called us to walk in love and be example of them. He called us to consider things that edify and minister grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4.29 To consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Hebrews 10.24 He called us to say things that edify and minister grace unto the hearers. Obviously, if our friend and fellow believer is stepping into sin and yielding to immoral behavior, we can't ignore that. We'll need to lovingly reach out to help him say and say hey brother you don't want to get into that it will hurt you it will rob you of the blessing of god let me give you a hand and help you out of that trap but the fact is most of the time what we end up getting into each other about our questionable issues things that are a matter of opinion that's why the bible tells us not to get involved in disputes or doubtful things romans 14 1 that they don't make that much difference. They draw us out of the love walk and in the legalistic arguments that hurt instead to help the body of Christ. Remember this, none of us absolutely correct about every spiritual issue. Even if we were correct in everything we know, in the overall scope of things, we don't know much. So our own ignorance makes us incorrect in some situations. What's more, the Bible doesn't require us to be technically correct about everything. It requires us stewards to be f- faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 It requires us to walk in love. August 29 Limited Love Born to love Seeing you have purified your souls and obeyed the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love for the brethren... See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. First Peter 1 Peter 1:22 and 23. One thing that robs us of the divine energy it takes to love one another is our refusal to lease, to leave our past behind. It seems we insist on dragging it around with us everywhere we go. Oh Lord, we say, I just don't know how I can love people the way I ought to. I've been so selfish all my life. I have such a history of being thoughtless and unkind. God forgive me, but that's the way I've always been. We need to realize that not how God uses us, He sees us only in the light of redemption. He's never known you. He's never known you any other way except cleansed by the blood of Jesus and robed in his righteousness. When you come crawling into the throne room telling him what a bad person you were 25 years ago, he doesn't know who you are talking about. He's forgotten your iniquities. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. As far as he is concerned, the day you were born again was the day you you were born. One friend of mine found that out personally when he asked the Lord to give her a new clothes dryer for her birthday. She was surprised when her natural birthday came and went with no sign of her new dryer. Late one night, a few months later, however, someone called her and said, Please forgive me for calling so late. But the Lord instructed me to give you my clothes dryer, and he said I had to do it before midnight tonight. Sure enough, when my friend checked the calendar, she realized it was the date she had been born again. Wouldn't it be silly to pick up a little baby who's just a few days old and say, My, isn't he precious? Isn't he beautiful? It's too bad he's such a terrible, he has such a terrible past. Past? What past? The baby doesn't have any past. He was only born a few days ago. He's a new creature. The same is true for you. When you were born again, you became a new creature. The Bible says old things pass away and all things become new. You exchange your life for Jesus' life. You exchange your past for his past. You exchange your nature for his nature. When you consider your past in the light, you'll bodily say, Yes, Lord, I can love people the way you want me to love. Love comes naturally to me because I have your nature in you. I have a history of kindness and compassion. Through the blood of Jesus and the word of God, I was born to love. Greetings, August 24th, Limitless Love. Do it God's way. In Matthew five thirty eight forty two 42 it says, We have heard that it was said, Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the ones who ask you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew five thirty-eight 38-42. Most of us absolutely choke at the thought of responding in love to those who mistreat us. We want to argue with the Lord about it because it seems to us that it just wouldn't work. From our limited human perspective, it appears that if we don't slap the other guy back, if we don't get a lawyer and file a suit against the person who's trying to take advantage of us, we'll be beaten up, broke, and defeated. So instead of walking in love and doing things God's way, we insist on doing things our way. Instead, as if we know better than he does, what is the wisest thing to do? As a result, we sin and miss the mark. We rob ourselves of the blessing our obedience to him would bring. I made the same mistake when I was a kid, and my dad was trying to teach me to play baseball. He'd give me the bat, position my hands on it just right, then step back to throw me a pitch. But as soon as he did, I repositioned my hands so I could hold the bat my way, which was the wrong way. Can it, he said. You'll never be able to hit anything holding the bat like that. You have to hold it like this. After correcting my grip, he stepped back to pitch and I changed my hold again. It doesn't work for me to do it your way, I protested. I have to do it my way. Dad will go ahead and pitch the ball and of course, despite my best effort, I'll miss it. Looking back, it's ridiculous that I thought I knew more about baseball than my father. I was only about four years old. And he was a grown man. What's more, he was practically a professional, quality baseball player. He wanted to give me the benefit of his wisdom. He wanted to set me up so that I could knock the ball clean out of the park. But he couldn't do it as long as I wouldn't trust him to do what he said. As long as I wouldn't trust him and do what he said. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. When he tells us to respond in love, even to those who act like our enemies, he is trying to set us up for victory. He's positioning us to receive the blessing that comes when we walk in love so we can knock the devil clean out of the park. August 25, August 25, the only reasonable thing. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11, 1. The more you realize just how much God loves you, the more you'll fall in love with him. You'll become consumed with the desire to bless him. You'll so appreciate all he's given you, you'll start looking for ways to give back to him. Even then, God will keep on out giving you. There will be times when you're worshiping him and telling him how much you love him and want to serve him, and he'll interrupt you right in the middle of it to tell you about something he wants you to do for you. Do you remember what I said about my people living in goodly houses? He might say, well, I want you to know I have a good house for you. It's far better than the one you have now, and I want you to have it. When you're in that atmosphere of love, it's not hard to have faith for promises like that. It's not hard to believe God's word. You don't have to struggle and strain. You can just rejoice and say, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. I'll start boxing things up today so we'll be ready when moving time comes. Some people think that kind of faith is strange or extreme, but the fact is it's perfectly reasonable between those who love and trust each other. That's true even in the natural world. Say, for example, you have an older brother who once always loved you and looked after you, and you were growing up as you were growing up, and he had always been there for each one of you. Through thick and thin, you always made sacrifices for each other, you always kept your word to each other. Let's say that brother eventually became multimillionaire. One day he calls you and he says, Hey, I just want you to know I bought the house across the town you've been admiring. I know you like it, and I thought it would be fun to buy it for you. I'll sign the papers on it tomorrow and have the realtor come by and give you the keys. How would you respond? You shout and jump and tell your friends you act like a person who just got a new house. How do you know you have that house? Someone might ask. Have you seen the papers yet? Do you have the keys in your hand? Maybe it's not really your brother the will to give you that house. How can you be sure? I'll tell you how I can be sure, you'll say. I can be sure because my brother and I love each other. He's never yet lied to me, so I have his word on him. The house is as good as mine. That's how simple it can be to believe and receive the promises of God in the atmosphere of love. It's the only reasonable thing to do. August 26. To tell the truth. The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. John eight forty four New American Standard Walking in love means more than just being nice and sweet to people. It means telling them the truth with their best interests at heart. It means refusing to lie to them. Through the years, it has amazed me to see how many times Christians people lie. Sorry, I missed your meeting the other night, Brother Copeland. They'll say, I sure wanted to be there. I just couldn't make it. Sometimes, just by the spirit, I'll know they aren't telling the truth. They never intended to come to the meeting. They wanted to stay home and watch television. That didn't really bother me, but their lying about it did. I wish they had respect me enough to tell me the truth. If we're going to be people of love, we need to get lying in perspective. We need to realize that the devil himself is the father of it. The very first time we see him in the Bible, he's lying to Adam and Eve. He's telling them that God's word isn't true and then giving some advice that he says will bless them. It didn't, of course, because he's a deceiver. He'll promise you everything to get what you have, and then he won't give you anything in return. He is the father of the counterfeit covenant. He's the originator of the word that can't be trusted. As Christians, we should refuse to have anything to do with that. We should hate lying so badly that we get every trace of it out of our lives. Instead of being the worst people in the world to do business with, That's the way it's been in the pine. Christians ought to be the best people to do business with. Our world should hold up when no one else's does. Christian people shouldn't be content to make business agreements with a handshake. They ought to insist on writing things down, making contracts, and giving everybody a copy. They ought to do it, not because they need a written document to force them to keep their word, but because they are so watchful and eagerly to do it every to do everything they promised. They want it in black and white to make sure they don't forget it. Instead of looking for ways to get out of the keeping our word, we should be like God, absolutely determined to keep it to the last jot and tittle. Our God is the Father of love, not the father of lies. So let's get rid of the lies and be like him in matters great and small. Let's tell the truth. Welcome to Limitless Love. In you I see Jesus. Second Corinthians five, fourteen and sixteen for the love of Christ constrains us because we does judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh second Corinthians. The command of love your neighbor as you love yourself is a wonderful command. It's more than most people even try to do. But as members of the body of Christ, we have an even higher call. We're called to live for Jesus by living for each other. We're called to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord just like we love the Lord himself. Brother Copeland, you might say, Surely you aren't telling me I ought to treat you like I treated Jesus. Yes, I am, and I ought to be treating you the same way. After all, we are one body. We are one spirit with him. The Bible says when one suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we are all honored. We're joined together in a supernatural union. Think about it for a moment. Jesus is in me, and I am in Jesus. Jesus is in you, and you are in him. That means, that must mean we're all mixed up together. I can't separate you from Jesus and you can't treat him one way and treat you. I can't treat him one way and you another because whatever I do, I'm doing him. I'm doing it to him. And whatever you do to me? You're doing it to him. When we understand that, we will be like the Apostle Paul and stop looking at each other's after the flesh, we'll stop thinking that just because we live in different packages of skin, we're separated from each other. We realize that when our true, we are truly one in Jesus. We are each part of Him. That means when I see you, I see Jesus. So I ought to love you as you are, Jesus, as if you are Jesus. I ought to care for you with the agape kind of love, that's only interested in what I can do for you, not in what you can do for me. After all, if I am going to treat you like Jesus, I'm going to treat you like you already done everything for me that you could possibly do. I'm going to treat you like you died for me. I'm going to treat you as if you are the reason I'm going to heaven. I'll be looking for ways to bless you. I'll be searching for opportunities to care for you. Nothing you do will affect my love for you. Natural facts won't have any bearing on it. I won't care about your skin color. I won't care about your denominational background. When I look at you, I'll see Jesus. I'll see others. I'll see the one who loved me and gave himself for me. When I look at you, I see the one I love. Amen. Good morning. Limitless Love, August 21st by Kenneth Copeland. Designed by love. Hebrews 9, 19 and 20 say, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Hebrews 9, 19 and 20. Sometimes people read the Old Testament and miss the amazing demonstration of God's love that's revealed there. They look at the Mosaic Law and the animal sacrifices it requires and say in ignorance. What kind of God sets up a system like that? A God who loves people. Even though mankind had yielded to the devil and became a fallen race, God loved the people of that day. Even though they were spiritually dead and had no way to regenerate, God still wanted to meet their needs. He was so consumed with love for them that even knowing they could not truly love Him in return, He wanted to make a covenant with them so He could bless them. The problem was they couldn't keep their end of the covenant. They were so spiritually degenerated, they break it before bedtime the first day. And he knew it. The penalty for a broken covenant was death. And he wanted to help them, not hurt them. He had to find another way. So he brought in the Old Testament priesthood. He appointed a certain group of people to represent him. And in essence said, Listen, my covenant brothers and sisters, I know you're going to mess things up. I know you're going to break our agreement and sin. So when you do, instead of killing you for it, We're going to kill you an animal instead, and we're going to let that animal be your substitute. That way, it will be able to satisfy the demands of justice without hurting you. We can stay in covenant with each other, and I can bless you in spite of your sin. God didn't do that because He was insensitive to the death of the animal. If God had His way, there wouldn't ever have been any death in the earth at all Adam is the one who opened the door to it once sin and death were in the earth something had to be done to shelter man from the curse of it that's why God instituted the old testament laws and priesthood to protect the people he loved from the full effect of their own sins and to establish a covenant of blessing with them in spite of their fallen condition It was a temporary solution, only a type and shadow of the wonderful priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come and pay the penalty for sin and cleanse us from it forever. Even so, it was clearly devised by the biggest heart of compassion ever known. It was designed by the God of love. August 22nd, Limitless Love, Kenny Copeland. The perfect picture of love. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of our commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. That is the first commandment. Mark twelve twenty-eight and 30. The greatest picture of covenant love ever seen on the earth was the relationship between the Lord Jesus and his heavenly Father. They loved each other with an absolute unwavering love. The Father exalted Jesus and said This is my beloved Son. Hear you him, Matthew seventeen five. Jesus exalted the Father and said, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. John eight twenty eight. Through love they were in perfect union with each other. Sometimes We take that for granted because we focus on the fact that Jesus was the Son of God, but He also was the Son of Man. Jesus was as much flesh and blood during His early life as you and I. He got tired, hungry, and thirsty just like other men, and He experienced pressure and temptation. Yet Jesus always obeyed the Father. He didn't sin one time. He didn't break His covenant with God once. Why? Why? because he was in love with his father that he couldn't bear to break their union. He was so committed to the father and the father to him that as they walked together, you couldn't tell whether one stopped and the other started. They were fused together by love. That's why Jesus agonized so greatly in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why he sweat drops of blood. He wasn't upset over the physical pain and death he would experience on the cross. He was grieving over the thought of being separated from his father. It caused him so much sorrow, the very prospect of it almost killed him. Actually, it was the love of Jesus had for the father the same love that produced the life and union they had together which demanded that union be broken it was love that drove him to the cross to pour out his life blood it was love that compelled him to take into his pure sinless spirit all the horror of fallen mankind it was love that took him into hell to suffer the penalty of our sin Jesus loved the Father so much that He wanted to give back to Him the world God so dearly loved. The Father loved Jesus so much that once redemption had been accomplished, He gave Him the name that is above every name and crowned Him Lord of all. That is a true covenant love. Limitless Love by Kenneth Copeland, <clears throat> August 23rd. In you I see Jesus. For the love of Christ constrain us because we does judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. 2 Corinthians 15, 16 To command to love your neighbor as you love yourself is a wonderful command. It's more than most people even try to do. But as members of the body of Christ, we have an even higher call. We're called to live for Jesus by living for each other. We're called to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord, just like we love the Lord himself. Brother Copeland, you might say, Sure, surely you aren't telling me I ought to treat you like I treat Jesus. Yes, I am, and I ought to be treating you the same way. After all, we are our one body. We are one spirit with him the bible says when one suffers we all suffer when one is honored we are honored we're joined together in a supernatural union think about it for a moment jesus is in me and i am in jesus jesus is in you and you are in me in him that means that must we're all mixed up together i can't separate you from jesus and i can't treat him one way and treat you another because Whatever I do to you, I'm doing it to him, and whatever you do to me, you're doing it to him. When we understand that, we'll be like the Apostle Paul and stop looking at each other after the flesh. We'll stop thinking that just because we lived in different packages of skin, we're separated from each other. We'll realize that we are truly one in Jesus. We are each part of him. That means when I see you, I see Jesus, so I ought to love you as if you are Jesus. I ought to care for you with the agape kind of love that's only interested in what I can do for you, not in what you can do for me. After all, I am going to treat you like Jesus. I'm going to treat you like you already done everything for me that you could possibly do. I'm going to treat you like you died for me. I'm going to treat you as if you're the reason I'm going to heaven. I'll be looking for ways to bless you. I'll be searching the opportunities to care for you. Nothing you do will affect my love for you. Natural facts won't have any bearing on it. I won't care about your skin color. I won't care about your denominational background. When I look at you, I'll see Jesus. I'll see the one who loved me and gave himself for me. When I look at you, I'll see the one I love. Limitless Love by Kenny Copeland, August the 20th. Keep on serving. Scripture from today is from the New American Standard Bible, Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 to 28. And whosoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Have you ever found yourself irritated when someone who didn't appreciate your kindness to them have you ever caught yourself saying I just can't believe they treated me so badly after all I've done for them they owe me more than that the next time you're tempted to take that attitude remember this the moment you step into the martyr mentality you are stepping out of love you are using the good things you did for that person as a kind of emotional manipulation Instead of being content simply to bless them, you are demanding something in return. Doesn't everyone do that? Someone might say. Jesus didn't. When he came to the earth, he didn't come here trying to talk people into believing in him so that he would get something from them. He came totally, absolutely, unreservedly to give of himself so that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He sacrificed himself in love for the world, even though there was no guarantee that anyone would receive him. And the fact is, most people didn't. When he went on to the cross, no one appreciated or understood what he was doing. It was a mystery hidden in God. People laughed at him and scorned him, but he didn't take offense. He didn't say, Can you believe this? I'm pouring out my blood for them and they don't even appreciate it. No, he prayed. Father, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Even after he was raised from the dead, the majority of his followers didn't receive him. The Bible says he appealed to about 500 people after he was raised from the dead. First Corinthians 15, 6. He told all of them, You go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Yet only 120 were in the upper room on that day of Pentecost. You'd think every one of them would have been there after seeing him raised from the dead, but they weren't. Clearly, even though they saw their own eyes, what he had done for them, they didn't respond as they should have. But Jesus never lets people's ingratitude affect him. We have no record that he ever mentioned it. He just kept on doing what the love of God within him compelled him to do. He kept on giving and giving, serving, and pouring out his life. As his disciples, that's what we'll do too. Welcome, Limitless Love, August 19, when love gets angry. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtst out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and says unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land, that I have spoken, I will give unto you seed, and they shall inherit forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Exodus 32, 7 and 8 and 10 and 14. Don't think that just because you walk in love, you won't ever be angry. God himself became angry at evil and injustice. He feels about those things just like we do. The difference between our anger and His is that, first of all, His anger is a whole lot bigger than ours, but He doesn't sin. With His anger like we do, He never loses His temper. As we grow in love and the other spirit of the fruit of the Spirit, such as temperance, we won't lose ours either. As Ephesians 4.26 says, we will be angry and sin not. God's loving nature also causes Him to be easily entreated. James 3.17 he is willing to turn from his anger, even though he is right and just in having it. He is willing to let go of his wrath and forgive simply because his covenant, covenant friends ask him to. And in this case, for instance, God, God's love for Moses caused him to have mercy on the Israelites, even though they didn't deserve mercy and weren't asking for it at that time. In so doing, he set the example for us. He revealed how we should treat those who move us not only to fleshly anger, but to righteous indignation. We must love like he loves and be willing to turn from our anger even when it is justified. We must be merciful simply because our covenant friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, has requested it. He said forgive if you have anything against anyone Mark 11:25 New American Standard although the people who have done the wrong may not deserve mercy although they may not even be repentant because we love the master we will yield to his request we will turn from our anger and do what he has asked us to do Again let me read these Uh, the one about righteous indignation. In so doing, he set an example to us. He revealed how we should treat those who move us not only to fleshly anger, but to righteous indignation. Did you see that? Move us from anger to righteous indignation. We can get a lot done when we uh, explode with righteous indignation. You know, that power that you get may not go onto that person, but you will get a lot accomplished because you've been treated unjust, unfairly. You know, uh, they usually, if you do it right, get that anger somewhere else, righteous indignation, they'll come back and apologize. And that, my friend, is a lovely thing. You win a friend for life. In other words... Don't tear them up and down. It's your righteous indignation in a project you've been working on. Wax the car, clean the garage. We must love like he loves and be willing to turn from our anger even when it's justified. When it is justified. We must be merciful simply because our covenant friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, has requested. Amen. I didn't make the rules, folks. I'm just a messenger. I love you. God bless you. We're going to do this, and we're going to do it right. August 18th, welcome to today's reading from Limitless Love. Remember the covenant by Kenneth. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and that thou mayest live. Jeremiah 30 verse 6. When we think about the covenant we have with God through Jesus, we are immediately reminded of the blessing it provided for us. We remember as we should the marks of the covenant of the body of Jesus. The scars on his head from the crown of the thorns and the stripes on his back, the nail prints in his hands and the hole in his side. Those marks will forever signify God's promises to give His all to us, His covenant people. We must also remember, however, that we bear the mark of the covenant as well, like the circumcision of the old covenant saints. Ours is not a mark that can readily be seen. Our sign of the covenant is born in our spirits. It is the circumcision of the heart. When I say we should remember that, I don't mean simply that we shouldn't forget it or that we should occasionally bring it to mind. The word remember is a covenant word. It means to be continually conscious of the one you are in covenant with. God remembers his covenant with us by keeping us perpetually on his mind and in his heart. He remembers us by constantly making Himself and all His resources available to us. In the same way as His covenant people, we are supposed to be in total, absolute remembrance of God 24 hours a day, every day of our lives. We are to remember that we are committed to love Him. We are to be more concerned with meeting His needs than we are about His meeting our needs. We should get our minds... On what we can do for Him and how we can minister to His body. We ought to be more, more driven by our desires to bless Him than we are by our desires to receive His blessing. We should forget about our own will and become totally consumed by His. As we continue to grow in our covenant love for Him, we'll find ourselves neglecting to pray about our own needs because we were too busy praying for the needs of others God has put on our hearts yet we'll never lack anything because while we're taking care of God's business he has taken care of ours only when we start loving the Lord like that will we really discover what covenant is all about that's when we'll remember countless times a day That all we are and all we have belongs to God as our covenant partner. We'll be driven by the love within us to be his servants, his champions on the earth, to be whatever he needs us to be. Only then will we discover what it really means to live. August 18, Limitless Love. Welcome to Limitless Love for August 17. Now that's good news. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Limitless Love, Kenneth Copeland. Over the years, religion has watered down our idea of the gospel. It has given us the idea that the gospel is little more than a sweet Sunday school lesson. It's reduced to the gospel to a set of rules and regulations that we have to obey and keep God from being mad at us. But... The gospel means the good news. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God. But there is very little good news and very little power in things like rules and regulations. One day I was thinking. About the covenant of God made with Abraham in the Old Testament. I was meditating on the day that God cut the covenant in the blood of animals, and swore to Abraham to bless him and to be his God. Suddenly, I heard this question in my heart. If you ask Abraham that night what the gospel was, what do you think he would have said? Instantly, I knew the answer. I say, I tell you what the good news is, brother almighty. God made a decision to enter a covenant with me He's promised to provide for me. He's promised to bless me. He's promised to protect me. He said, anybody who cursed me would be cursed. So don't mess with me or you'll end up with God himself opposing you. I have made it forever. I have it. I have it made forever. <clears throat> I haven't made forever. Excuse me. But that was Abraham you, you might say. I don't have a covenant with God like he did. You do if you're born again. But your covenant is established in more sacred blood. It's ratified in the blood of Jesus and the Bible says that through him the blessings of Abraham has come on you. What is the blessing? You'll find it in Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. New American Standard. Again, what is the blessing? We find it in Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. New American Standard. No wonder the Bible tells us to pray for those who persecute us. We have a covenant of love with Almighty God. He is on our side, and anyone who comes against us runs up against Him. That's why no weapon formed against us will prosper, and every tongue that rises against us will be condemned, Isaiah 54, 17. It is our covenant heritage. Oh, that's good news, my friend. That's the power of God working on our behalf. That is the gospel of love. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The word of God. Greetings. Reading of today, August 16th. Limitless Love by Kenny Copeland. Settled by the blood. Today's teaching centers around Matthew 27, 27, 31 from the New American Standard. And it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and after twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and they knelt down before him and mocked him saying hail king of the Jews they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head and they had mocked him after they took the scarlet robe of him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to, to crucify him. Matthew twenty seven twenty seven thirty one. 31. As believers, as believers, we have a covenant that has been ratified in the blood of Jesus himself. Every provision recorded in God's Word, every promise God has made to us in the Bible, has been established forever in His precious blood. As God's covenant sacrifice for us, Jesus became the guarantee of our divine blessing. His blood ended all debate and forever settled the fact that God loves us and has promised to provide for us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Once you truly grasp that, it will practically sound like profanity when you hear someone say, well, I just don't know if it's God's will to heal me. I'm not sure he's going to provide for my needs. They might as well be saying, I don't really think the blood of Jesus meant that much. After all, God is sovereign. He might just decide to break his promise and ignore the blood. You won't even be able to think such a thing, much less say it. Your heart will be anchored. Your mind will be firmly established. Your whole being will be settled in faith. Every time you think of God's word, you'll remember the blood and you'll be fully assured that God will do for you what he has promised. To get to that point, however, you have to meditate on what happens on the cross. What happened Saturate yourself in it until you're standing out there on Calvary's mountain. Meditate on it until you can smell the old dungeon where he was whipped and you can see the flesh ripped from his body as the stripes for your healing are laid on his back. Let the Holy Spirit help you hear the ring of the hammer driving the nails into his body and see the blood pouring from his wounds as the laughter and mockery of ignorant and sinful men fall the air. Look at him hanging on the cross, and remember Galatians 3:13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let the blood of the everlasting covenant do within you what it was divinely designed to do. Let it settle forever every question you might have about God's love. Let it drive out every doubt and leave you fully persuaded that he will forever keep his word to you. Limitless Love Settled by the Blood by Kenny Copeland Limitless Love, August 15. Keep your focus on Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13, New American Standard. Sometimes as believers begin to mature in the things of God and live holy lives, the first passionate love they have for the Lord begins to wane. Have you ever noticed that? In the first months of their Christian life, they may have wept with gratitude every time they pray. They have overflowed with worship as they told the Lord how much they love Him and how they appreciate the cleansing that came to them through His precious blood. But as time passes, something changes. They still love the Lord. They still pray and worship Him. Somehow he doesn't seem as near to them or dear to them as he did during those first wonderful days. Why is that? Often the reason is very simple. In the early days of their walk with the Lord, these believers put all their confidence in the blood of Jesus. They had no good works to rely on. They had to pull all their trust in the Savior and simply draw near to God through faith in him. As they grew, however, without even realizing they allowed their focus to shift, they became more aware of their own spiritual successes or failures than they were of Jesus. They began to draw near to the Lord, thinking they were acceptable to Him because they they're well behaved or unacceptable because they behaved badly. Unconsciously, they fell from their place of grace to a place of works. They lost the affection they once had for God because they started trying to earn rather than receive as a gift their fellowship with Him. Don't let that happen to you, no matter how mightily the Lord works in your life, no matter how many wonderful things He enables you to do. Never, ever bring those things with you into the throne room of God. Never base your confidence on them. Instead, keep your focus on Jesus. Remember, it was always and only His blood that brings you near to God. Whether you acted wonderfully or miserably, it is still your faith in Him and Him alone. That secures your place with the Father. It is through Jesus only that you have access by faith into the grace where you stand, Romans five two. If you'll keep those truths ever fresh in your mind, you'll never lose that first love you had for the one who paid it all for you. You'll never cease to be grateful for the sacrifice of your Savior and for the blood that brought you near. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. August the 14th, Limitless Love, Dare to Walk Worthy, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease prayer for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all-pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1:9 through10 by Kenneth Copeland. Religion has cultivated an attitude in many Christians that chokes off their revelation of God's love for them. It has taught them that they are unworthy to be called his sons. So instead of going boldly to the throne of grace and enjoying fellowship with their father, they are continually cowering outside, whining about how unworthy they are. For the most part, their intentions is honorable. They desire to be humble before the Lord. They want to give him all the glory for what he's done for them and take none of it for themselves but their approach is unscriptural. Rather than honoring the Lord, they are dishonoring Him by refusing to receive the gifts He has given them. Even though as a sinner, we were all unworthy of salvation. Once we made Jesus our Lord, His blood made us worthy. He became sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. When we receive Him as Savior, He gave us authority to become the children of God. Do you know what that means? It means when you belittle yourself, you are believing what he did in you. When you tell him how unworthy you are, you are telling him that the blood of Jesus wasn't enough to sanctify you. It wasn't enough to make you worthy. You are in essence refusing to take the rightful place in God's family he paid so dearly to give you that grieves his heart. Think about it. And you can see why. How would you like it if you adopted some little bedraggled child, love him like your own flesh and blood, and yet he always refused to look at you in the eye? How would you like it if you gave him the best of everything, but he couldn't receive it because he felt unworthy? You would probably bring you to tears. Here I am spending all this money on this child. You'll think, just because I love him, here I am trying to give him a wonderful life and all he can talk about of this unworthy business. Don't treat your heavenly father that way. Don't frustrate his love. Receive your love position as a born-again child in God's family. That's the honor of all honors to him. Instead of telling him how unworthy you are, tell him how worthy of praise he is. Every time you approach him, do it with your head up and joy in your heart. Dare to take your place as a son who has been made worthy of his father's love. Dare to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. August, August Fourteenth, Limitless Love, <clears throat> Dare to Walk Worthy, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9-10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Religion has cultivated an attitude of many Christians that chokes off the revelation of God's love for them. It has taught them they are unworthy to be called his sons, So instead of going boldly to the throne of grace and enjoying fellowship with their father, they are continually cowering outside, whining about how unworthy they are. For the most part, their intention is honorable. They desire to be humble before the Lord. They want to give all the glory. They want to give him all the glory for what he's done for them and take none of it for themselves. But their approach is unscriptural. Rather than honoring the Lord, they are dishonoring him by refusing to receive the gift he has given them. Even though as sinners we were all unworthy of salvation, once we made Jesus our Lord, his blood made us worthy. He became sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. When we received him as Savior, he gave us authority to become the children of God. Do you know what that means? It means when you belittle yourself, you are belittling what he did in you. When you tell him how unworthy you are, you are telling him that the blood of Jesus wasn't enough to sanctify you. It wasn't enough to make you worthy. You are, in essence, refusing to take the rightful place in God's family he paid so dearly to give you. That grieves his heart. Think about it, and you can see why. How would you like it if you adopted some little bedraggled child? Love him like your own flesh and blood, and yet he always refuses to look at you in the eye. How would you like it if you gave him the best of everything, but he wouldn't receive it because he felt unworthy? It would probably bring you to tears here I am spending all this money on this child, you think just because I love him, here I am trying to give him a wonderful life and all he can talk about of this unworthy business. Don't treat your heavenly father that way. Don't refuse his love. Don't frustrate it. Receive your, your love position as a born-again child in God's family that's the honor of all honors to him instead of telling him how unworthy you are tell him how worthy of praise he is every time you approach him do it with your head up and joy in your heart dare to take your place as a son who has made worthy of his father's love dare to walk worthy of a love fully pleasing to him Good morning. Welcome to today's Limitless Love, 365-day devotional for Friday the 13th. Would you believe that? August the 13th. I hope and pray that you'll come into a great weekend that fabulous things will happen to you. Look up for our redemption light near. Here we go. This is Kenny Copeland speaking. Alrighty. Limitless love according to your faith. According to your faith be it unto you Matthew 9:29 Please say it out loud with me According to my faith it is done unto me Matthew 9:29 According to my faith Amen Faith works by love We acknowledge the fact many times but did you know that love cannot work without faith It's true I could love you with all my heart. I could love you so much that I would buy you a house, put a new car in the driveway, and give you the keys to both of them. But if you didn't trust my love, those things would do you no good. When I try to give you the keys, you refuse them and say, no, you can't fool me. I know you haven't, I bought me a car. You haven't bought me a car, and I surely don't believe you bought me a house. So just keep those silly keys because I am not falling for that lie. Ridiculous? No, that's reality. In fact, there was an actual case much like that some years ago in Chicago. A man who had been living in terrible poverty, just barely getting by with the help of some government welfare programs, was out in the cold, was contacted by someone and informed he had been named heir to a multitude of millions Multi million dollar fortune. I'm getting excited. Just imagine here's a fellow who has been living in the street, praying, hungry, suffering from the heat and cold. You'd think he'd jump for joy at the news, thrill, or even the possibility of someone had provided for him. But he wasn't. Instead, he refused to believe the message. Ain't nobody ever giving me nothing, he said. And ain't nobody ever going to give me nothing. You get out of here and leave me alone. As the story goes, the mayor of the city himself was finally recruited to help convince this man to receive his inheritance. So he drove up in his limousine in front of the dumpy place where this man was living. The man clearly realized that this was the mayor, but he still didn't believe. No, he said again, nobody's ever given me nothing to me and they aren't going to start now, so just get back in your fancy car and go on. The mayor had to order the man to come with him. He told him he was tired of the state having to pay for his food when he had a million dollars in the bank, so he took the man to the bank, fussing and kicking all the way. Sadly enough, many Christians are like that. They have a heavenly father who loves them so much he has provided everything they'll ever need. They have an inheritance so rich is literally inexhaustible, but they haven't developed enough faith in God love to receive it. Lord, they say, I'm not asking you for very much, just enough for me and my family to get by. In spite of the riches God longs to give, he is obligated to par- to parcel parcel out that pitiful provision his children have asked for as he says according to your faith be it unto you amen according to your imagination and love be it unto you have a great day god bless you thank you for listening Welcome to today's reading, August the 12th, of Limitless Love. Today's topic is the image of love. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Again, but we all, With an open face, we are beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord. Our change into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18 As born-again children of God, you and I ought to be growing up in the image of Jesus. With every day that passes, we should be working, talking, thinking, and acting more like Him. Instead of crying in fear about the storms of life that come against us, we ought to be learning how to be take authority over them. We should be saying, as Jesus did, "Peace be still. Peace be still." Some folks think it's practically blasphemous for us to imagine we could ever be like the Lord, but the New Testament plainly states that is our destiny. Jesus himself said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works indeed shall he do, because I go unto my Father. John fourteen twelve. The Apostle Paul wrote, excuse me for that. The Apostle Paul wrote that we are predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29, New American Standard. And to grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4.15 The Apostle John said it this way, As he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4.17 Huh. And amazing, as these scriptures are, as amazing these scriptures are, as He is, so are we in this world. As amazing as these scriptures are, every believer knows instinctively they're true. Our spirits instantly bear witness that we've been born again to be just like Jesus. God wants us to do the same things Through us as he did through him. Some of us have stepped into the occasion. We have had moments when we experienced the life and power of God. Flowing unhindered through us. But we haven't yet lived in that place on a day-to-day basis. Why haven't we? Why is it that we've been missing? The fullness of God is love. Love is the key to it all. Since Jesus is the embodiment of love, to be conformed to his image means to be conformed to the image of love. So the more we behold him in our hearts and realize we are born of that love, the more fully Jesus will be revealed in us. Some time ago, the Lord said to me that we need to develop to a much higher degree a revelation that God is love and his love is in us to be used. As you develop or exercise that love, of that love, he said it will not only fill you up, it will flush the fear out of your soul. Once fear is flushed out, you'll begin to step out in faith and live in a way the world cannot explain. They'll begin to wonder, who is this that even stops and stills the storms? They'll see in us the person of Jesus. They'll see in us The image of love, His image. August 11th, welcome to today's reading, Limitless Love. In the Arms of Jesus by Kenneth if we love one another god abides in us and his love is perfected in us first john 4:12, 12 new american standard remember the old saying practice makes perfect when it comes to love that's absolutely the truth the way to perfect god's love in you is by practicing that love on others don't just practice it in the easy ones those who are kind and gracious to you The Bible says even sinners can do that. Determine to love those who irritate you and act ugly towards you. Purposely love those who are most challenging to you. Don't sit around waiting for some kind of supernatural warm fuzzy feeling to make you do it. Just step out in faith and love them by an act of your will. One way to begin is by asking God to help you see that person the way he sees them. If it's someone who has already been ugly to you, that may be difficult. In fact, it may irritate you a little that God loves them all. Let's be honest. At times, all of us in our fleshly selfishness look at someone who was acting badly and thought, How could God love that idiot? When I was a little boy, I overheard my mother talking to a man of faith about someone like that. I just wonder how in the world God is going to deal with that person, she said. Mercifully, he answered, with great mercy. Even as a young boy, I knew that the man was really saying, God will deal with them mercifully just like he did with you. Just like he did with me. If I weren't for his mercy, none of us would have survived. So we'd be wise to extend that same mercy to each other. That's the attitude to have when you're asking God to help you see someone like He sees them. Cultivate that attitude by remembering how many times God has been gracious to you when you act badly. Think about the price Jesus paid to save you while you were yet a sinner. Then, in the same frame of mind, begin to pray for the one who has been difficult to love. Sometimes I get the process started by picturing them in my mind And then visualizing Jesus coming right up behind them and taking them in his arms. I see them totally engulfed in him. I think, yes, Lord, that's the way you treated me. You loved me when I didn't deserve it. Help me to do for them what you did for me. Just let your mercy and compassion for them find expression through me. You may think right now that you can't do that. But I guarantee if you'll step out in faith, you'll find you can. You'll find that the more you believe the love of God has for you, and the more you practice it in others, the more it is perfected in you. The Word of the Lord. August the 10th, Kenneth Copeland. Limitless Love. The will of the King. The will of the King. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. I open my mouth and pant it, for I long for thy commandments. Look upon me and be merciful unto me, as you used to do unto those that love your name. Please order my steps according to your word. Psalm 119, verses 130 to 133. Again, the entrance of thy words giveth it light, it giveth it understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for thy commandments. Look upon me and be merciful unto me, as you have done so to those who love your name. Please order my steps according to your word. Psalm 119, verses 130 to 133. It's tragic how little of the Father's blessing is received by His children. In His love, He has provided all things richly for us to enjoy. He has paid for them with His own blood. He has laid them in store for us to draw upon them whenever we desire to do so. He has given us detailed descriptions of them in His Word so that we can reach out and take them with the hand of faith. Yet time and time again he has been robbed of the delight of seeing us partake of these provisions. No doubt his loving Father's heart has grieved as he has watched us needlessly suffer lack simply because we have not read and believed his promises. We have not fully taken him at his word Years ago, I heard a story about a woman who served many years ago as a handmaid to the Queen of England. She had begun her service as a young gal and lived most of her life in the palace. She never learned to read or write, so when the queen died and she was released from the royal service, she was left destitute, an old woman with no hope of gainful employment. For years, the lady lived in poverty in a shanty cottage by the river. One day, a preacher came to visit who had heard of her glorious past. Is it true that you spend your life in the service of the queen? He said, Oh, yes, she answered, beaming with pride. I serve her ladyship for many years. I have the proof hanging here on my wall. Intrigued by this wonderful piece of history, the preacher walked over to examine the document which had been framed and given a place of honor in the tiny home. As he read the words written there, he was dismayed to find it was the will of the Queen of England which commanded that in honor of her handmaid's faithful service, she be richly provided with a home, servants, clothing, and food for the rest of her life. The document was signed and sealed by the queen herself. Although the dear old lady had honored and cherished the will for years, she had never read it and understood what it promised her. Therefore, she had never been able to take the queen at her word and receive what her majesty had provided. Don't let that sad story ever be told about you. Determined to find out what your Almighty King has so richly provided. Give His Word, which is His will for you, an honorable place, not just in your home, but in your heart. Let the entrance of His Word give you light, so you can believe and receive all the bountiful blessings of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Welcome, it's August 9th, and our topic is defeated by the army of love from the book of Kenneth Copeland, Limitless Love. The scripture says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Ephesians 6, 16-18. The spiritual armor Paul describes in Ephesians 6 is intended to equip us for prayer. He instructs us to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, and the helmet of salvation, lifting up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, praying always for all the saints. Many Christians have overlooked that last phrase. They've eagerly donned their spiritual armor and taken up their their weapons, but they've done it to win their own personal victories instead of doing it to win the victory for a brother. Although there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves, we shouldn't stop there. We ought to be praying for each other's healing, praying for each other's deliverance, praying for each other's prosperity. When we do that, we set up a spiritual situation against which Satan has no defense. Jesus said that if two of us agree as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them by our Father in heaven, Matthew 18:19 by praying for each other we put that spiritual law into motion and we are guaranteed results and our guaranteed results god never meant for us to use our shield of faith only for our own protection he meant for us to hook our shields together for the common good the roman shields in paul's day had hooks on each side each was bigger than a man and pointed at the bottom When soldiers faced a serious attack, they would drive their shields into the ground and hook them together to form a solid wall of protection. And that's what we as believers are supposed to do in prayer. We're to link our shields of faith together and commit ourselves to fight for one another. We're to go into battle like Covenant Brothers and say, I'll stand here as long as I have to and use every weapon God has given me to keep the devil off of you. We're born of the same spirit, bought with the same blood. I'll fight more fiercely for you in prayer than I did for myself because I love you the same way God loves me. When we use the weapons of our warfare with that attitude, the devil will be hard pressed to put anything over on any of us. We'll be watching over each other all the time No matter where in the church the devil goes, he'll find someone praying and swinging the sword of the Spirit at him. He'll find a solid wall of faith that he can't go over and he can't get through. He'll be totally defeated by the army of love. Amen. Hallelujah.
0: Good morning, August the 8th, Limitless Love. Let's open this with a moment of silence, followed by the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Coming to you from Southern California, Fernando. Today's reading is August the 8th, Limitless Love. The sword that sets you free. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered afflictions because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distresses. He sent out His word, and He healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Psalm 107, to 20 New International Version. God's written word is an expression of His love for you. The reason you can hold a Bible in your hand and read the promises and provisions of God is because He loves you so much He made it possible for you to have it. Sometimes we forget the tremendous price that was paid to get the Word to us. I'm not just talking about $30 you spent for it at the bookstore. I'm talking about the men and women who laid down their lives spending years translating and recording it. Those people literally shed their blood to get that print Bible. Those men and women were energized by the grace of God and inspired by His Spirit. God compelled them to do what they did because He loves you. He wants you to be free from every bondage of the devil. And the truth of the word is what makes you free. I never forget a vision the Lord gave me in the early years of my ministry. I was praying in a little church in South Texas where I got to preach some meetings. I suddenly saw with the eyes of my spirit, a dragon come through the front door of the church. It was so big, it filled the entire church. It had blazing eyes and fire that blasted out of the mouth, burning my clothes and knocking me on the back. In the vision, Jesus was standing beside me and he was clearly displeased with the dragon and the fact that I was on my back in front of it. Why doesn't Jesus do something about this? I thought. Why doesn't he use that sword he has on his hand and kill that beast? About that time Jesus held the sword out to me. I didn't real I didn't want to take it, but I knew I would be in trouble if I didn't. So I put my hand on the sword amazingly and lifted me up off the ground. And I felt power shoot up through my arm and into my body. Suddenly, I w- wasn't afraid of that big lizard anymore. I trust the word, I trust the sword. I thrust the sword toward him, and in the middle, it touched him. It split him wide open. When it did, I realized he was full of people. They had been swallowed up by that dragon's devices. And the sword of the Spirit had set them free. Remember the next time you pick up your Bible, don't treat it just like a good book. Use it like a sword to the Spirit. A gift from love, straight from the Father, that has been set you free. That has been sent to set you free. Amen. Now remember that each word of God has power. You know how it has power? Well science says is uh, the uh, just what the word says become alive with our spirit, photosynthesis. We make it come alive by believing in it, by looking at it. That's why it's so imperative that we read his word. On a daily basis, you know, at least give them 10% of our time on a daily basis—2.4 hours. People, hour in the morning, hour in the evening, and 40 minutes for lunch. Just do it, and see if do it for a year, and see if your life doesn't go outstanding, dramatically better. Laughter, joy, everything is in it. All right. Thank you for listening. See you on the next clip. Limitless love for August the seventh. Putting the flies to flight. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn towards you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. Leviticus 26, 7 and 9, New American Standard. Until now, most Christians have focused primarily on their own spiritual growth. We realize we are responsible for developing our own faith and using it to overcome our flesh and defeat the devil in our lives. That's been a good and necessary revelation, but the more we grow up in love, the more we'll realize that God's plan on the earth can't be carried out by us individually. It can only be accomplished when we come together as a body. Individually, we may be able to deal with the devils which come against us in our own personal affairs. We can resist and overcome the pesky little devils of sickness and discouragement that attack us and our household. But those aren't the only devils out there. They are mirrors of others continually working to pester irritate and hinder the progress of the church. There are so many of them, Jesus compared them to flies by calling Satan Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. No one of us individually can deal with all of them at once, but when we start walking together in love, the Bible says our spiritual power and effectiveness increases exponentially, suddenly. The principle God set forth in Leviticus goes into operation and we're not just driving out the little personal devils that have dogged our steps, but but we're driving out multiple thousands of them who have restrained the plan of God in the earth. That's what happened in the book of Acts. It says those early believers were of one heart and of one soul. Acts 4.32 They walked in such love, they were totally unified. And as a result, the church exploded with growth. Signs and wonders were daily occurrences. People dragged the sick out in the streets to get healed as Peter passed by. The church took Jerusalem by storm, and there was nothing the devil could do to stop it. Can that happen again? Absolutely, it can and it will. The more we get together in love the more power we'll see when we commit ourselves to each other just like we committed ourselves to the Lord, refusing to be critical of one another and constantly looking for opportunities to give each other and build each other up. We'll trample the devil under our feet at every turn. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ will put the Lord of the flies to flight. The Word of God for August the 7th. Greetings, we're starting another book. Today will be called Limitless Love by Kenneth Copeland and Gloria, his wife. They're basing it on that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians three seventeen and 19. The more we learn to walk in God's love, the more brightly the light of God will shine in our lives. The light of God will rise up inside us and show us exactly what to do and the right way to go. We will know just how to handle every situation. Kenny Copeland. <clears throat> now this is the focus of his book, Limitless Love, 365-day devotional. Discover the love that knows no bound and fuels your fate daily. The jacket of the book says, Love, focusing your mind on the love of God daily changes everything. God designed us to live by love, and when we do, we become surrounded by everything love provides, health, happiness, and the best things life has to offer. Walking in love surrounds us by God's goodness. It causes us to live in our dreams. A life of love is what causes you to fulfill your destiny in Him. Using the unique abilities and visions God has given you, you'll be fully equipped for doing all He has planned for you to do. Discover the depth of God's love for you and live in it daily. Let Limitless Love, a 365-day devotional by Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, guide you to living the life of love God intends. Learn to choose love's way every time. Feel your faith daily and discover the secrets of God's love for you and through you. It will make all the difference. Kenneth and Gloria Copeland are internationally known speakers, authors, and television ministers. Kenneth has produced numerous print, audio, and video resources to help believers develop their walk in God's love. His new book, The Blessings of the Lord, makes rich and he has no sorrow with it, Proverbs 10.22, empowers believers to release the blessings of God's love into every situation they encounter. And Gloria has also produced many teaching series covering a wide variety of issues. From Healing to Wisdom, she is the author of the 2008 New York Best Time Seller, God's Master Plan for Your Life, helping believers find and understand the life He has planned for them. For more than 45 years, countless lives have been impacted by the Copeland Ministries through television, broadcast, print media, audiovisual products, and domestic and international meetings. All are available on the internet at kcn.org. Amen. Let me see if there's a, another introduction. That's about it, folks. Let's dedicate this work to the Lord. Father God, you said that whatever we put your hands on, we put your this reading and this uh, it, it, it teaching, Lord, as coming from you, Lord, directly from you. Let us develop a love. Thank you for teaching me how to love, and love paid my bills. Love got me squared away. Father, we ask that anyone that hears my voice as I read these words will receive your love, Lord, and and triumph over this world through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. For the Lord God said, It is finished. My peace I give unto you that those who are heavy burdened come to me, and I will give you rest. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. We give ourselves over to you, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we believe this is from you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Limitless Love by Kenny Copeland. Take love to work. Colossians 3, 22 and 24 say, Servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not with eye service as man pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, 22 and 24. The church could win greater numbers of people to the Lord if believers would take the love of God with them into the workplace. People are turned off to the gospel by Christians who carry their Bibles to the office while they're cheating their employer out of a full day's work. It's a sad thing when a believer professes time, professes his faith to his fellow employees, and then comes in late morning after morning, uses company time to do personal business, spends business hours chatting with co-workers and then tops it all by out by talking ugly about his boss a christian who behaves like that would give more glory to the lord by leaving his bible at home and keeping his mouth shut until he learns to demonstrate the love and integrity of god with his life and not just his lips i know that's a strong statement but it is true i have firsthand knowledge of One Jewish man, in particular, who wouldn't give the gospel the time of day for years because of the shabby work habits of those who knew who called themselves Christians. He finally did get saved, but he did it in spite of them, not because of them. On the other hand, believers who do walk in love on the job shine like stars in a dark night. They preach without saying a word. It gets people's attention when someone works diligently and keeps a good attitude. It's an outstanding thing when an employee gives 110% of the job. Not only when the boss is looking, but when he isn't. Generally speaking, the business world these days is one of the most brutal places you can find. It's considered normal for employees to undercut and betray each other in an effort to get ahead. Criticism of supervisors and those in authority is commonplace. But as believers, the love of God compels us to act differently. It demands that we serve our employers with the same devotion and excellence for which we serve Jesus himself. God's love will cause us to get to work a little early and come back from lunch on time. It will inspire us to speak kindly and respectfully of bosses and supervisors, focusing on their strength instead of their weaknesses. When we walk in love in the workplace, we will forget about pushing of our own successes and search out ways to contribute to the success of others, while trusting the Lord to bring us reward. It will come, too. It will come not only in the form of pay raises and promotions, but in the form of souls won to the Lord, and that is the greatest reward of all. Limitless love. No. Nope. August the 5th. To your children's children. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. Psalms 103, 17. Again. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting as far as the east is to the west upon them that fear him and his righteousness into children's children Psalms 10317 again but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children Psalms 10317 that's today's memory verse folks. Write it down, 3 by 5 card, carry it around with you. I expect for you to have it memorized by the end of the day. Because we fear Him. We act like we fear Him. It's kind of hard. He loves us so much, and then we're supposed to fear Him, huh? But we can do it. Here we go. Fear only the Lord, for He is the only one that can throw us into hell. Amen. Bottom line. Okay, Kenneth goes on to say... The covenant love of God is so strong and far-reacting that it not only covers you, it extends to your children and your grandchildren, this covenant of love. Of course, they'll one day make Jesus their Lord and enter into that covenant themselves. But until then, God will look after them for your sake. He'll protect them and bless them just because they're yours. I know, not only know that because the Bible says so, I've seen at work in my family, I found out by watching some of my relatives that even <clears throat> the most rebellious can't outrun the angels of God when their mother or father is standing on their covenant with Him. The best example is my cousin Larry. His mother and mine were prayer partners for years, and they prayed us into the Kingdom of God. We both tried for years to go to hell, but Mama and Aunt Barbara just wouldn't let up. They knew that love of God and they knew the word, so they just stayed on their knees and held fast to their faith until we gave up and got saved. Larry's case was particularly interesting because even while he was doing all kinds of dope and other crazy stuff, the Spirit of God would be so hot on his trail it will scare his buddies they finally told him man we're not going not doing any more drugs with you every time you get stoned you start preaching actually i was the same way i won several people to the lord before i ever got born again myself the experts finally told me and that even if larry did not stop doing drugs He'd be a mental vegetable because of the damage already done to his brain. But the experts didn't figure in the love of God. They didn't know he was watching over that boy for Aunt Barbara's sake. They didn't know that her covenant covered her son. But thank God she did. So she just kept calling him blessed. The devil tried to curse him. But as the heathen prophet Balam found out, he can't curse those God has blessed. Numbers twenty three eight. The Lord stayed after Larry until he got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He restored Larry's mind so fully that he was able to go back to college and graduate with a degree in physical therapy, which, apart from a medical degree, is one of the toughest to get. Eventually, he started preaching and pastoring a church. He's good at it, too. I like to say, Larry, if you're a mental vegetable, you're one of the preacher's carrots I ever seen. We can both laugh about it now because we know we are living demonstrations of just how far the love of God can reach. We are walking proof that his covenant extends to his children's children. Amen. August 5th, Kenny Copeland. See you in the next segment. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Limitless Love, August 30th, The Greatest Sinner of All. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eaten your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go you and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but to sinners to repentance. Matthew 9, 10, 13. In Jesus' day, the most... Unloving group of people on earth was the Pharisees. Jesus rebuked them more sternly than anyone else. He warned his disciples not to be like them, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to the born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves would not move them with one little finger. Matthew 23, 4. These words reveal what Jesus considered to be so wrong with this group of people. It was the fact that they had no mercy for sinners. As far as the Pharisees were concerned, a sinner was the most rotten thing that existed on the face of the earth. As he brushed against sinners in the marketplace, he would go straight home, take a bath, and wash his clothes. What's more, he was self-righteous about it because he assumed that God hated sinners just as much as he did. When Jesus taught that heaven would rejoice over one sinner who repented, I it, it totally upset at their traditions. They were repulsive by the concept of such mercy. Why? Primarily because they thought they didn't need it. They mistakenly believed their religious works had earned them a place of right standing with God and didn't realize it was the mercy of God that was keeping them alive. They didn't realize that they were the chief of all sinners. The first Pharisee we have record of who received that revelation was the Apostle Paul. He called himself the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. Because of the days before he was born again, he had no mercy. He genuinely thought Christians were wrong, so he hated them, imprisoned and killed. He had no mercy on them. In the sight of God, a person who has no mercy is the greatest sinner of all. Therefore, as born again children of God, that is the one fault we must guard more carefully against. We must never allow ourselves to fall into the trap of the Pharisees. We must never despise someone because they fall in prey to sin. On the contrary, we must forever remember that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We must remember that God loves us in spite of, not because of ourselves. And the mercy we have received from Him, we must always be ready to give. August 31st, the mercy that never stops. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 136, 1 and 2. The Old Testament words used to refer to the agape, God kind of love, in the word mercy. Because God is merciful, He is good to those who don't deserve the goodness. Because God is merciful, He gives us the blessing and the more favor than we could ever deserve. God's mercy caused Him to intervene and take upon Himself through Jesus the punishment for sin and then gave to us the righteous rewards that only He Himself is worthy of. Mercy is a quality that is uniquely God, just as God is love. God is mercy. There is no mercy outside of God. He is the source of all mercy. So any mercy we receive, we can actually receive from Him. Mercy is always and forever the gift of God. Actually, mercy is such an unchangeable part of God's nature that the original Hebrew text of these verses in Psalm 136 simply says, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good for His mercy forever. The word endure it isn't even there. It was added by the translators in an attempt to magnify the fact that God's mercy never comes to an end. God's mercy to cease God Himself would have to cease. For he is goodness and mercy forever. Practically speaking, That means God never stops extending his goodness to you in every area of your life. He doesn't just have mercy on your spirituality, forgive you of your sins, and then say, okay, now that's as much as you're going to get from me. I delivered you from sin, and I'll get you to heaven. But you'll just have to put up with the sickness in your body. After all, you brought it on yourself by your own stupidity. So I am not going to heal it you of it for God to say something like that his mercy would have to stop it would have to cease operating and according to the Bible that's impossible God's mercy endures forever what's more Psalm 145 says he is full of mercy and compassion if God stopped after delivering you from 60 or 70 percent of your afflictions That would mean he was just 60 or 70% mercy, wouldn't it? But that's impossible because the Bible assures us he is 100% mercy, 100% all the time. The only thing that can hinder God's mercy in your life is your own failure to receive it. So get out of his way by simply faith and trust in him. Throw open the door to God's mercy in every area of your life, like the psalmist you too will soon be shouting, the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. Greetings. Welcome to today's reading of Limitless Love. You're not ready for the wolf. Woodpile by Gloria Copeland Our scripture is John 15:6 If a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned John 15:6 What do you think this means Well we've been given some hints already it says you're not ready for the woodpile To be burned. Are you? You're here with me. I am blessing you. You're blessing me. We're collectively, we are making a roaring fire. We're in it. And Jesus has given us the victory to win it. The battle has been fixed, guys. The game has been fixed. We win. We are victorious in Christ Jesus. Here we go. Gloria goes on to say that because our daily communion with the Lord is what keeps us abiding in him and bearing the fruit of love, the devil works ceaselessly to hinder it. He pressures us with busy schedules and tries to convince us we just don't have time to fellowship with God. When we do sit down to read the word and pray, he endeavors to distract us with thoughts of other things and interrupts of every sort. Interruptions. If we yield to these pressures and miss out on time of prayer, the devil heaps condemnation on us. He makes us reluctantly to draw near to the Lord again by convincing us that God is mad at us for neglecting Him. Instead of taking the first opportunity and jumping back into communion with God, we drag our feet thinking He is going to punish and criticize us for the times of fellowship we miss. The devil may even misquote scripture and say that God is fed up with, all, with our failures and ready to cast us into the fire. <clears throat> He'll tell us God has thrown us into the woodpile. Don't listen to lies like that. God isn't mad at you when you miss your time of fellowship with Him. He doesn't want to punish you. He loves you. He is eagerly waiting for you to draw near to Him. And the moment you do, He will draw near to you. He will speak to you and help you and bless you because that's what He wants to do. That's the whole reason for commands you to abide in Him. It's only through the union He can get to you. Again, that's the whole reason He commands you to abide in Him. It's only through that union He can get to you the grace and strength you need to live in victory. He is the vine, and you are the branch. If the branch removes itself from the vine, it will wither. Not because the branches manage you, but because without living contact between them, the vine cannot do for the branch what it is supposed to do. What's more, that scripture doesn't say that the vines gather, wither branches, and burns them. It says that men do. When we stop spending time with the Lord, we get burnt by the natural circumstances of life. When trouble comes, we don't have the divine life flowing through us that we need to overcome it. If we haven't been abiding in the Lord, we don't have our fate ready. We don't have the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of us and the wisdom of God operating in us to enable us to handle the situation. So don't let the devil trick you into getting yourself into that condition. Don't let him distract you and deprive you of your communion with the Lord. Don't ever let him condemn you and convince you that God has thrown you in the woodpile and doesn't want fellowship with you. He loves you. I love you. Resist those lies and realize it's the devil, not the Lord, who is wanting you to get burned up. The Word of the Lord, Limitless Love, by Gloria Copeland. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful.